0: Powerful songs, and, uh, and especially the last one channels only that last verse to me. I go, I'm going to read the last verse to you again and, and keep this in your heads because this is, in many ways, this is the sermon today. Um, so let this be the plate setter or the, or the thing that kind of begins to get your hearts into the place that I'm trying to speak about uh, today. It says this, Jesus, fill now with thy spirit hearts that full surrender know that the streams of living water from the inner man may flow. So, simple words, beautiful truth, and really what we're doing for the next 25 or 30 minutes is unpacking and wrestling with the implications of that and how that looks practically in our community. So, thank you. Okay, so, as you can see, Uh, We're taking time again today to look at our Community Covenant. Uh, So what I want you to do, actually, I'm going to invite you. uh, If you have a smartphone along something that has access to the internet, uh, feel free to pull that out and and to go to our website and pull up the Community Covenant. It's going to have a little bit more information there uh, than we're going to have up on the screen. So so it's uh, a good resource to have open. Um, All you do is go to the menu. It's under Beliefs. Uh, community Covenant is a page. So if you want to go there and check that out, that's going to be a good resource for you as we're kind of walking through this. Uh, and maybe while you're doing that, what I'm going to do is, is just briefly revisit or summarize the first half of the Community Covenant, the first four points, uh, which Darren covered last week. So these first four points speak about the church's commitment to you. And the word that he focused in on last week was opportunity. The idea that, that, that overall what we as a church are looking to give you or we're looking to offer you is the opportunity to engage and to connect. We're, we're trying to give you the chance to do those things. We're going to hold those doors open for you uh, in whatever way we can. That if Pleasant Valley is a church that is functioning as it's meant to function, if we're acting or operating the way that we believe that God has called us to act and operate, then as a church body, it will be true that you have the opportunity to fellowship. That is, that this is a place that feels like home, where you can build relationship, where you can engage uh, in real community, where you can truly worship. And you'll have the opportunity to learn. We'll provide you teaching in some form, and that takes place in a lot of different ways. It takes place with the Sunday morning sermon, it takes place during Sunday school, it takes place in small groups and other programs that we have. But you will have the opportunity to learn together in community, And it says in the Community Covenant that it's guidance for daily living. Which is to say, this is practical stuff. This is stuff that should and can be making a difference in your day-to-day lives. Third is you'll have the opportunity to serve. That is, if you want to get involved in serving in the church, there is opportunity for you. Uh, And Darren talked about the different gifts that each of us have. That's, That's sort of the biggest strength of the body analogy that Paul goes back to over and over again in the new testament is is how it highlights that we're not all going to serve in the same way. We're not going to all participate and engage in the same way, and that's okay. In fact, that's actually a source of strength for us. It's essential for us to be functioning as a community by serving in different ways, by serving in unique ways that you've been gifted to. And so we as a church want to provide a variety of ways for you to get involved. And we've talked about some of those opportunities already this morning. But things like the Gem Lake work weekend or making coffee in the mornings or or doing the art on the bulletin outside in the foyer, these are all opportunities to get involved. And, And there are many, many more that we have. And finally, you have the opportunity to receive spiritual care and nurture through the ordinances that we have, through the baptism and communion that we do here, through visitation and prayer in times of need and in preparation for and during significant life events. I think of things like premarital counseling that we do, that sort of fall into that category. And so today, what we're digging into is is, is really in many ways the mirror, or the flip side uh, of that coin, it's a natural extension. If you're going to be a part of a church that provides fellowship, and teaching, and opportunities to get involved in spiritual care, then as a part of that body, you are a part of the church that is providing those things. You are a part of the church that is creating those opportunities for others. And so today we're talking about you. We're talking about what you individually are called to as a member of this community. It's all about what you're signing up for and what you would be held accountable to as we step into this covenant together. And if one were to look at the document a little skeptically or if they were sitting on the fence not totally sure about this whole church thing, I could imagine somebody looking at this document, at this covenant, and going, that looks like hard work. You're expecting me to give my time and my money. You're expecting me to do work in regard to church growth. You're expecting me to submit myself to this body. You're expecting me to take on responsibility over and above my already busy life, over and above my already tight budget, over and above my already long priority list. And you'd be right, sort of. Actually, you haven't gone quite far enough. The, the, the premise or the idea that I have my life, my busy life, my money, my needs, my time, and my priorities, and then over top of that, when I have time or energy, When I have space, then maybe I'll cram in some church stuff. Or maybe I'll connect with God. Or if I'm lucky and if I remember, I'll do these extra responsibilities or these extra things. In a way, that's got it all flipped around. Theologically, according to Scripture, that's a flawed premise. And when we talk about signing up for the community covenant, or when we talk more generally about living a Christian life, the core of our commitment to ourselves and to each other is actually far more extreme than that. The core of church and the core of Christian life, and this isn't about what Pleasant Valley is calling you to, and this isn't about what I am calling you to. This is about what Jesus is calling you to. This is about what Paul and the writers of the New Testament are calling you to. The core of it is not that you live sort of a normal North American consumer life and then over top of that you fit in or you stack on a law or a series of responsibilities or a series of expectations, it's this, that your primary motivation, that your primary focus, that your primary driver is Jesus and his kingdom here and now on earth and that everything you do in life flows out of that. A great piece of scripture for digging into this a little bit is is Galatians 5. So Paul is addressing a church here that's got it wrong. Uh, Instead of living a life focused on Jesus, they're living a life focused on rules and regulations and some are very for and some are very against and you've got these two extremes and the church is kind of falling apart and in many ways what Paul is accusing them of is distorting or twisting the gospel into something it was never meant to be and in Galatians 5 it's a call to reorient themselves. He's been talking in the whole book, uh, throughout the whole letter, uh, about this distinction between faith that is trusting in the grace that Jesus offers uh, and the law that is trying to do it on your own. And in this chapter, he spells it out clearly. So what I'm going to do is bounce around a little bit uh, in chapter 5 and just pick out some of the main themes, because I think they apply incredibly well to what we're talking about today. The passage starts out like this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that is slavery to the law, to the idea of of obligations that we have to follow, the sense that we stack things, we stack rules on top of our ordinary lives in order to be good enough. And a few verses down in verse 4, it says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, the Spirit living inside of us is key, not the law. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And here's where he really spells it out. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And he reinforces this a couple of verses down in verses 13 and 14. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's a really interesting thing that Paul does here. And and other New Testament writers do it as well. Over and over again we see it. What's the greatest commandment according to Jesus? What does he say the greatest commandment is? In, in, In Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, these are familiar verses to us. Someone asks, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God. Love people. And and Paul grabs on to this, but time and time again, he actually condenses it down to just that second part. Jesus says the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And Paul says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul seems to be saying that if we are living in freedom, if we're in touch with God's Holy Spirit, and if we're loving the people around us, if we're loving our neighbors as ourselves, sacrificially, if we're loving as Jesus loved, that actually accomplishes the first commandment. That's how you love God here on earth, is to love the people around you. So although we are walking through different pieces of the community covenant. It's not about adding yet another list of expectations or rules or regulations or responsibilities. It's about getting at the heart of the Christian life. It's about giving some sense of guidelines or guardrails or pointers that help us as a community focus on reorientation, focus on Jesus The stuff that we talk about in the covenant is is sort of the fruit that comes about when we're living this sort of a life. This isn't a legally binding document. It's not some magical ticket into some sort of a club. It's a symbolic statement. It's a drawing of a line in the sand. It's saying this is the sort of life that I want to live. This is the sort of community that I want to be a part of, that I want to be supported by and contribute to. We do not live... By the same rules that the world lives by. We operate under a different set of priorities. We're living in a different kingdom. And to sign the community covenant next week or the week after is not to say that you're perfect, that you've got it all figured out, that you're not going to make mistakes. Maybe you recognize that you're nowhere near this. But it's where you'd like to be. It's where you want to be. You're interested in taking a journey in that direction. And so then signing up says, I want to be a part of a community that can help me to do this. And that I can help to do this. And in a real way, it's declaring war against the world's way of thinking. It's something that many of our direct ancestors stood up for, got burned at the stake for, got persecuted across oceans for, And even as recently as the mid-20th century got sent to jail for. It's the sort of declaration that people in different parts of the world all over are still being persecuted and attacked for. And it's work. None of this is designed to make your life easier. It's easier to focus on yourself. It's easier to sleep in on a Sunday morning. It's easier not to give your time and your energy and your money and your effort to something outside of yourself. But my firm belief based on my own experiences here at Pleasant Valley, and based on what I see in Scripture and the example of Jesus and others, is that following Jesus and being a part of a community like this makes your life better. Not easier. Better. And, And not in an unguaranteed heaven kind of a way. Better now. Better in this life, in this community, in this time and place here today. So, with the time that we have left, what I want to do is dig in to these four points of this half of the community covenant. Just to refresh ourselves on what exactly we are being called to in this community. What we are covenanting to when we sign our names. So first, is to shield the unity of my church. And the verse that we have here with this section is from Romans. Romans 15 verse 5, which reads... May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So we believe, scripturally, practically, that the body of Christ needs to be, should be, unified. Now, unity by itself is sort of a neutral thing. It can be good or bad. In Luke 23, verse 12, when Jesus appears before Herod and says that Herod ridiculed and mocked Jesus, Luke says that because of this, out of this, that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this time, they had been enemies. So, I mean, it's nice that they were unified, but it was in the wrong direction. This wasn't something that God was smiling on. Unified, unity itself is not on its own positive or negative. Uh, And unity is also not about blindly agreeing uh, with everything that is said. You maintain your own brain. You maintain your ability to have opinions on things. I guarantee you that not all of us here today agree on everything. Not everyone in the pews believes the same thing about a lot of different issues. Some issues that we probably hold to be pretty high importance. Not everybody in the pews believes the same thing about the age of the universe. Not everyone in the pews believes the same thing about pacifism or nonviolence. There are things that we as a community don't all agree on. That's the nature of being a part of a human group. So, when we talk about unity, what then are we getting at? Well, the Community Covenant does a good job of breaking down what we believe unity to be. What it looks like to be in unity with each other. So this is the points that it makes. It says, act in love toward other membership. When we disagree, when we have concerns, Everything should be done with a loving spirit and a loving tone. Uh, Like the sermons that we had this summer from 2nd and 3rd John, truth should always be driving at and fueled by love. Second, refuse to gossip. It's simple. We don't talk around people or beside people or about people in ways that are hurtful or divisive. We refuse to gossip. Third, supporting and holding accountable and having confidence in the leadership. Uh, We actually changed the wording on this one in the last few years. It used to say, uh, following the leaders. In fact, I think if you look at our community covenant in the hall there, it might still say that on our most recent printing of it. But it's something that we've changed and I think that this is maybe a better reflection of the commitment that we're asking you to, not to blindly follow, uh, but to support and to keep accountable and to have our backs. After my uh, my third bulletin email this weekend, uh, I had someone contact me and let me know about an additional typo that still hadn't been caught. And when I kind of sheepishly responded to them and said uh, uh, thanks for the catch, and I let them know I'd fix it on the printed version, they simply sent back an email that said we got your back. And to me, that's what it looks like. It's not blind following. It's a, it's a willing to hold to account and to point out when there are issues, but it's supportive. The fourth is this, accepting and supporting corporate decisions. So you're allowed to disagree, and you're allowed to have your own opinions, and you're allowed to engage in debate and discussion about these things, but when the church body has made a decision, you're called to respect that decision that we've made together. You don't have to change your mind, but as a part of this community and as a servant leader, we say together in this covenant that it's your responsibility not to intentionally be sowing seeds of division or dissent about those decisions. The next main point is this. Share responsibility for the growth of my church. So here again, growth can be a little bit of a loaded word. Some of you maybe are very uncomfortable when you hear that we need to share responsibility for the growth of our church. You picture soapboxes on street corners. You picture handing out tracts door to door. You picture pushy or invasive or uncomfortable conversations, you'd rather just avoid that altogether. And yet Jesus' call for us is clear. It's the last thing he leaves his disciples with before he goes. Go and make disciples. Build my church. Feed my lambs. And so we include this here without shame, without apologizing for it. It's a clear call for us. But as we enter into a post-Christian world, a world that is increasingly moving past the church as a center of authority, We have to carefully consider how we engage with that call in this context. And if you've been coming here long, you know that we're not a numbers-focused church. That's not really our primary motivation. We're not really an ego or status-driven church. Being a small country church is kind of a part of our DNA. And some of us are natural evangelists. And God bless you, it's an incredibly important role. Some of you are amazing at striking up conversations in grocery stores and in hospitals and in Tim Hortons, you you find it easy to have those sorts of conversations and start up talking about faith with people. That's a specific gifting. And not all of us are those people, and that's okay. But we believe scripturally that all of us are called to share responsibility for the growth of the church. And so recognizing the broad spectrum of people that we have here, here are a few practical things that each of us can be doing that we believe that all of us are called to when we engage in this community covenant. First, praying for its growth. That is to say, talk to God about this. Pray that we can be a community that grows. Uh, And not just in numbers. That's a part of it. Praying that people find Jesus through us and begin attending and get connected in. That's a good prayer. But we also want to be a church that grows in relationship with each other, that grows in the fruit of the Spirit, that grows in spiritual maturity, that grows in truth and love. So pray for holistic growth for our community. All of us can do that. The second is this, inviting the unchurched to attend. As we pray, a part of that prayer should be that we are developing an awareness and a sensitivity to those around us who could benefit, who need a community like the one that we have here, who need a place to safely engage with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, with the gospel. We want to be a place that has open doors, that gives out invitations quickly and often. We want to fight hard against ever becoming a closed system, against ever becoming a club, against ever believing that we've arrived, that we don't need or want additional people here. Sometimes when things are going well, it's easy to go, I just want things to stay like this. It's good, it's simple, it's safe, it's predictable. But as we live and as we pray and as the Holy Spirit works, we want to be ready and excited to share what we have here with people who are searching. Third is this. Warmly welcoming those who visit. This is something that I think Pleasant Valley is uniquely gifted in. Does that mean we nail it every time? No. But I think it's something that we can humbly take some pride in as a sort of part of what makes our church unique or special. Uh, It's one of our strengths. We are a welcoming community. And so as you join in with this community, in this intentional symbolic way through our community covenant, let that become a part of your identity too. Be quick to shake hands. Work hard at remembering names. Make it clear that all are welcome at the table. It's something that we do really well and it's an important part of how we accomplish the Great Commission in our own particular context. Next, we're called to serve in the ministry of our churches. The verse that we highlight here in this section is 1 Peter 4, verse 10, which reads, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So we as a church commit to give you an opportunity to serve in the way that you are suited for. And as you sign this covenant you are committing to take advantage of that opportunity. To step in, in big and small ways. Not all of you are going to be on a worship team. Not all of you are going to serve on a committee. But my understanding of the Holy Spirit through my reading of Scripture is that every single one of us, without exception, have been uniquely and supernaturally gifted to plug into the local body in some way. And until you are engaging with that call or that gifting, you are missing out on a piece of what it means to be the body. That's not to say that everyone needs an official title or an official role. That's not to say if your name doesn't show up on a volunteer list somewhere that you're failing. But all of us have value to give in some way. All of us have a role to play. Paul isn't talking to church leadership or to a committee when he says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve. He's talking to a local body of believers made up of the educated and the uneducated, men and women, children and elderly, Gentile and Jew, white and blue-collar. Our covenant breaks it down this way. Here are the ways in which each of us can respond to serve. First, by living a godly life. It starts with some homework. All of us are called to live a life that glorifies God, that seeks his kingdom first. And as we cultivate that personally, as we build that into our own lives, then by developing, or sorry, discovering and using your gifts and talents. And I love the way that this is phrased. A part of your role here as a member of this community is to do some detective work on yourself. To ask and to process and to look at your own life and to go, what am I good at? What do I love? What do I notice? What captures my heart? To develop an understanding of your own giftedness and then to find a way to plug that into community. Third, by developing a servant's heart. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And then said, a new command I give you. Love as I have loved. And that's an interesting statement because, of course, the command to love others is not a new command. It's all over the rest of Scripture. It's all over the Old Testament. But the newness here that Jesus was talking about was the way he loved. Was a radical servant heart. Was the willingness to wash feet was the willingness to sacrifice, to become humble in your love. And we're called, as Christians, as Christ followers, to serve with that same humility. Finally, by serving for God's glory and not man's praise. So I mentioned before that PV isn't a church with a big ego. It's not really how we operate. And we've been blessed to have a leadership team and a pastor in Darren that for years has modeled humility in the way that they lead and the way that they work. It's something I think we do well here again. And it's something that we want to continue to cultivate and grow together. The glory is God's. We're not doing this for prestige or for awards. We're doing this because it's right and because it's good. And because it draws us closer to our creator and our created purpose. Finally, we're called to support our church in practical ways. We believe that each of us are called to be part of the church through giving in practical, tangible ways. And we have three simple points here. By attending faithfully, by serving where possible, and by giving financially. And again, I I hope the theme is becoming clear as we go through this. Not all of us are called to give in exactly the same way. Not all of us are called to give in the same amounts. We're all gonna go through seasons where we can give more and we can give less. Where we can be generous and supportive and where we will need support But all of us are called in some way to contribute to what Paul speaks about here in the reference verse where he talks about the body of Christ held together by every supporting ligament growing and building itself up in love as each part does its work. All of us have a practical, real role to play in the church. I want to close with this. There's a famous anthropologist. Her name is Margaret Mead. Uh, she was incredibly influential in the field of anthropology through the 60s and 70s. She was a bit controversial as well, but but maybe because of that controversy, she, she ended up uh, giving a lot of lectures, a lot of media appearances. She wrote a lot of books. And at one of those, I think it was a university lecture, during a question and answer period, she was asked this question. What is the earliest sign of civilization that you have found? What is the earliest or oldest artifact or relic That you have dug up that indicates to you this was a community of people. This wasn't just people that happened to be living in the same place. This was a group of people who were connected to each other. And the expected answer might have been a clay pot or or, or a fish hook or a grinding stone or some sort of infrastructure or some sort of form of government or currency or something. But this was her answer and I think it surprised people there. It certainly surprised me when I read it. She said, she believed the earliest sign of civilization was a healed femur. The femur, of course, is the thigh bone. And in a society based on hunting and gathering, a person with a thigh bone that was broken would be completely unable to care for themselves. Useless to the group. Mead explained that no healed femurs are found where the law of the jungle, where survival of the fittest reigns. You don't find it. Someone with a broken femur would simply be allowed to die. But a healed femur showed that someone cared. Someone had to hunt and gather food for the injured person until their leg healed. Someone had to provide care for this person who couldn't care for themselves. So this is what I think of when I think about our community covenant. When anthropologists travel over southern Manitoba in 10,000 years and when they dig up our civilization and when they get to Pleasant Valley EMC, may they find many healed femurs. May our legacy be one of supporting each other, of lifting each other up, of unity and of growth and of servanthood. of support. I'm excited to put my name down next week on this document together with you to do the hard good better work of growing together in that sort of a community. Amen.